morning. How are you? So good to see the growth in the church. I haven't been here in, a, in I guess, a year or so, and y'all just uh, every time I come back, the church is uh, multiplying and growing, and I'm proud of what God's doing here. And listen, I was just during worship. I just want to give you some encouragement, <clears throat> but this this area needs you. The church has never been more critical to what God's doing on the planet than right now. And the Lord's blessing is on this church. I love Pastor Austin, Pastor Katie. Can we just honor your pastors, your leaders, for them? I, I, um, I was having dinner with them last night, and I thought to myself, they are just two, two of the kindest, healthiest people that I know. I just enjoy being around them. There, There's a, not a, not a, uh, well, it's a good word. There's an innocence about them that's good. That, uh, that there's a purity of their heart that I think you see come out of them that's refreshing to me. And there's a lot of shenanigans going on in the church world today, but I think you have uh, been gifted with two leaders that love you and love Jesus. And sometimes that's all that's required, right? Love you and love Jesus. And they've kept it that simple. And I'm proud of you guys. I love you. I love your family. And I love this church. I love what you're doing. I love that I just got to see your new children's space. That's beautiful. Well done. I'm going to steal all those ideas and take them back to new life. And so I come from Colorado Springs. I've been there 16 years, uh, married to my wife, Pam, for 34 years. We, yeah, that's right. They're 34 years, right? We got married when we were 12 years old. It was just, <laughs> I'm from Louisiana. It was a scandal of the seventh grade when we got married, but we worked it out. <laughs> we have our two grown kids. One of them's with me today. Abram's 25. My daughter, Callie, is 23. They have both graduated college and moved out of the house, and I'm pretty excited. <laughs> they, they moved five minutes away. All right, so it's not like uh, they left the country or anything. So uh, they live five minutes away. So we're in that empty nesters. Any other empty nesters in the house? Yeah, I, and, and there is a, it is a cry, it is a joy, it is awesome to be an empty nester. Like, send them out into the world, Lord, and now Mom and I get to be by ourselves, and we like it. All right, <laughs> For, turn to in the Bible, 1 Peter chapter 5. And I believe this message today is timely for the season that we're living in. I know you're like me, you've been watching what's going on around the world for the last five years. And maybe actually the last 10 years, it just seems like the world is losing its mind. The world is becoming, it seems to me, like a more difficult and dangerous place. Just in the last uh, couple of years, I've been to Israel, I've been to Japan, I've been all over Central and South America, I've been uh, Africa and Europe, I've been, in the last two years, I've traveled the world and been with church leaders around the world, and they are all saying the same thing that God is reorganizing and reshaping and regathering his church. I believe we are in a critical season where the church has become more important, uh, more necessary for what God's doing. And there, there's something that I felt when I was reading this passage of scripture. The title of this message today is Resisting the Roaring Lion. First Peter chapter 5, we're going to read nine verses. Is it okay if we read a lot of the Bible today? And, and the, so it's going to sound like a lot, but I want you to stay with me as we read these nine verses from First Peter. It says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who will also share in the glory to be revealed. So he sets himself up as a leader of the church. Peter obviously walked with Jesus, was one of the primary disciples, influential disciple. And he says, be shepherds. 
of God's flock that is under your care. So this is real strong language from Peter to the leaders of the church that's reading this letter. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain. Now, all the sins that he could have pointed out, this is 2,000 years ago. He says to church leaders, do the right thing for the right reason, for the right motivation, right? In other words, don't do it for money. Don't do it for fame. Do it to take care of God's people. Be shepherds of the flock and stop all the shenanigans. Stop all of this stuff. Stop pursuing wealth. Stop pursuing fame. And be innocent and pure-hearted as you lead the church. This is what Peter is saying. He says, but eager to serve. Now that phrase, underline that if you have an old school Bible that you write in, eager to serve. You know what that phrase means? I actually teach this to my church on a regular basis. Eager to serve means I woke up this morning with a yes on my heart. Whatever, Lord, whatever the day, I don't know what the day holds, but there's going to be opportunities today to be kind. There's going to be opportunities today to be generous. There's going to be opportunities today to do something for someone that they can't do for themselves. That's the essence of serving, right? To come alongside someone. And so I said to the Lord this morning, the answer is yes. That's what it means to be eager to serve. In other words, eyes are wide open today for opportunities to serve, eager to serve. Go to the next scripture there. And it says, not lording it over those entrusted to you. In other words, do it in a way that's gentle and kind. Don't be mean. Don't be heavy-handed. Don't be manipulative. It says, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, he's talking about father in heaven, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. In other words, find someone with some hair, chrome hair or no hair. Find someone that, that has lived some life. People ask me, I had a young leader ask me the other day, he said, Pastor Brady, who, who do you read? Who, who influences you the most? And I said, most of them are dead. Most of the people I read, most of the people that influence me have already lived their life. They have a long record of, of, of faithfulness. They have, in other words, they, they lived 80, 90 years of their life. They were married well. They loved well. Those are the people I want to learn from. People that have already finished the race, right? Who got to the end of the race in a good way. So I'm asking all the young people to find someone who's run three or four more laps than you and come alongside them, ask them some questions. He says, you'll receive the crown of glory that you'll never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. All of you, everybody, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because, listen to this, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. I don't know about you, but I need God to not oppose me right now. Anybody, amen, in the room? I want God for me, not against me at this moment in my life. And he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. In other words, don't promote yourself. Stop building your brand. Stop all those things. And let God be the one who pushes you forward. Let God be the one who shines a spotlight on you. And then, listen to this, cast some of your anxiety on him, all of it. Now, listen, I know this to be true. I'm a pastor. I've been pastoring 29 years now. I know what walked into the room this morning. 
I know what walked in. The same that walked into my church in Colorado Springs. You're, there's some of you, all of you are tired probably. Somebody say amen. <laughs> Most of us are a little more tired than we care to admit. A lot of us are afraid of something. We walked in with some anxiety. And now, you know what anxiety is? Anxiety is an uncertainty, that you live with a constant sense of uncertainty, unsettledness. I, I, I can't see how this is going to work out. I don't see the solution to the problem. I, I, I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't even know what the afternoon holds. That's, that's, that causes this unsettledness in your heart. Now, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a, I'm not a counselor. I'm a pastor. But that word anxiety is big to our culture right now. We don't see how tomorrow is going to work itself out. So that creates anxiety. It says, cast it all on him. So listen, you can walk in. I actually encourage my church to bring all their anxiety to church. I just also say, don't leave with it. You should bring all of yourself into this congregation. And this is a safe place to bring it all in. You shouldn't leave it out the door. Bring it all right here. This is a good place to bring all of those concerns into the church. The challenge today is not to walk out with it. Leave it here. And he says, cast it all on him because why? He cares for you. Do you know that I think we need to be reminded of that almost every day, all day? And I, I want to say this again. God cares about you. The reason that you don't have to walk out of here with your anxiety is because he really cares about you. He knows you. You're not a cosmic accident. You're not a mistake. You're divinely crafted, engineered in the womb of your mother for his purpose, for his glory, for his worship. None of you are here because, you're, you know, some random cosmic mistake. You are divinely created by a divine God. You have his divine imprint on your life. He cares about you. Amen. Now, here's, that was all free of charge. This is actually what I want to talk to you about today, all right? Be alert and of a sober mind. If I could tell you one thing, if I, uh, I said this to my church just a couple of weeks ago, I preached this very message. I said, if as a pastor, as a shepherd that, that Peter's talking about, my, my number one concern for the American church right now is that we are not paying attention to the right things. We're, we, we, I want you to consider something with me this morning. Are you paying attention to things that want to help you? Because but most of what we're paying attention to is to help someone else. And I'm saying that the Lord, by his design, is, wants you to pay attention to him because he cares for you. Most of our social media algorithms are not designed to help us. Most of the social media algorithms that's in your scroll are designed to sell a product or to help someone else's cause. But I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit wants you to, your eyes to be fixed on the author and the perfecter of your faith, Christ Jesus. Your feet on the rock, you're in the palm of his hand. That's the sober-minded attention that we need to give ourselves right now. He says, be careful and alert and of sober mind. In other words, keep your mind clear. Be careful about substances. Be careful about anything that's altering your ability to discern and make decisions. He says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, I'm not here to cause any more anxiety. I'm not here to cause any more fear. 
but that is a true statement. It's a true statement. We have an enemy that doesn't want you to thrive. Did you, did you know that, right? Amen? Amen? We have spiritual resistance in your life. If you've not felt that for a while, I'd be concerned <laughs> because I feel it on a regular basis. Anytime I try to move to the kingdom or, or welcome the kingdom into my life, there is a spiritual pushback, a spiritual resistance. Amen? And that's just a natural, normal way. If you've been following Jesus for very long, you know that anytime you try to do anything in the name of Jesus, there is a resistance to what you're trying to do. He says, your enemy prowls around. He says, so resist him, verse 9, resist him. Somebody say, resist him. Resist. Now, that's an active verb. That is, a, that is a, 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 that's language that requires our activity. Now, I want you to catch this today. You have to get in the fight to win. But I'm going to show that this is easier than you can imagine, and it's more powerful than you've imagined. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these scriptures, these continuously articulate scriptures. And we ask today that you would speak to us and dwell in us and convict us, challenge us, change us. Do all of that by the power of your Holy Spirit. If you want any of that, would you say amen? amen. All right, a couple of things to point out about this, especially these last three verses that I just read. First of all, I grew up when I, a lot of my Pentecostal charismatic pastors that I grew up under, they would say, yeah, he's a lion, but he, he's a toothless lion. Well, actually he's not. This is not a toothless lion. This lion described by Peter can devour us. This is not a tooth. This is a real enemy with a real assignment against your life. And listen, I've been around way too many people who've lost their spiritual compass over whatever. I mean, they have gone sideways real quick because they were devoured by a lion. They didn't. Even, they weren't even aware that they had an enemy. I'm here today to tell you, you have a, an, a, an opposing foe who does not want you to flourish. He doesn't want your marriage to flourish. He doesn't want your children to flourish. He doesn't want your grandkids to flourish. He doesn't want your business to flourish. He wants to devour. The good news, though, that's the bad news. You know, sometimes you have to help, tell people the bad news before you can help them with the good news. So I just told you the bad news. Now, let me tell you the good news, all right? The good news is we don't have to wrestle or fight this line, just resist it. You notice the language here? Not, you don't have to get into a wrestling match with this thing. That happened at Calvary. That already happened at the cross. That happened at the resurrection. When the Holy Spirit came into a borrowed tomb and resurrected Christ from the dead, the same spirit that's alive in Christ is alive in me. So I, I carry the same victory that Jesus carried out of that tomb. The problem is we don't even resist. I'm just talking about putting up a little bit of resistance. I'm not talking about getting into a ring and having to grab a lion and fight a lion. I'm not talking about any of that. That's not the metaphor that Peter uses here. Peter goes, hey, just put up a little resistance. It's like, no, no, not today, Satan. In Jesus' name, not today. You're not going to bother my family today. That's all the resistance we're talking about. We're talking about just speaking to the lion and telling him to leave you alone. Resist him. In other words, you know how you can't resist something that you're not aware of. If you're aware that a lion exists and you have the power to stop him, 
all we have to do is live in a tension in our life where, I mean, honestly, about 12 to 29 times a day, I'm saying to the enemy, get thee behind me. Stop that. You're not going to do that to me today. I'm, I, I'm not going to believe your lie today. I'm not going to give in to that temptation today. In Jesus' name, stop it. That, that's it. So every day I live in a tension of resistance. Are you catching this today? But most believers are walking aimlessly through their life being devoured by a lion they don't know exists. I'm telling you the lion is real. I'm telling you, you have, you have tremendous power and authority to resist him, if you will. But you have to wake up and know that your kids are under attack. Now more than ever, my, the young, the, listen, 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th graders are being tempted with things that my kids 10 years ago were not being challenged with. They're being told lies that my kids weren't told. The lies have become more intense. The temptations have become more intense. And so therefore, we as moms and dads in the spiritual realm need to teach our kids to resist the lion. That's all we have to do. So, all right, I want to point a couple of things out that Peter says about this. So who are the people that are being devoured? I'm going to answer that question today. Who is being devoured and how can we resist the enemy? Those are the questions I want to ask or answer in about 18 minutes. Can y'all say that? Can y'all, you got 18 minutes left in you? All right, here we go. All right, so in verse 2, he says, be shepherds of God's flock. So I want to point out the group of people that are most susceptible to the attacks of the enemy. Number one, lions feast on the unprotected. Listen, I, I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're in church today. I'm just saying to you that these gatherings of the saints, which is all church is, the ecclesia is the gathering of the called out ones, right? That's what that word means. Ecclesia is the gathering of the called out ones, the, the gathering of the believers. The assembling of God's people is going to become more and more critical. I was just in Africa over the summer was in Zimbabwe, in South Africa, in Zambia, all, it was in the southern part of Africa. And I was talking to a pastor there. I said, tell me about your Sunday services. He goes, well, we, we, get, we start gathering around nine and we're usually home by 1.30 or two. I said, that's just one service. He goes, yeah. I said, so you'll gather. He, he said, a couple of meals happen during that time. We eat together, we worship together, we pray together. He said, but Brady, our very survival depends on us coming together. And I believe that's where we are in America today. You're going to start longing to be with God's people in a way you've never longed to be with God's people. I believe that's true. It's true for me. At 56 years old, I've been in church my entire life. My mom made me go to church 12 times a week when I grew up. I mean, I was never missed church. And I, I just, I didn't always like it. I didn't always appreciate it. Sometimes I rebelled against it. Sometimes I resisted it. Sometimes I doubted whether or not it was really helping me. But here I stand at 56 years old, still hungry to be with God's people today. And that hunger is only increasing because I know the lions feast on the unprotected. In Matthew 26, when Je listen to what Jesus said. He says, this very night you'll fall away on account of me. For it is written, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. He knew this, that listen, when you don't have a shepherd overseeing your souls, when you don't have a shepherd, a group of people caring about you, and it's not just the pastor, it's all of us caring for one another. So when I was in Africa, we were in this uh, 
in this, in this covered, this vehicle, with kind of open air vehicle. And this guy goes, hey, I, wanna, we know, I know where some lions are. You want to go see them? I went, yes. So I'm in this vehicle, all right? And, and, and it has no top on it. It's one of those you know, safari vehicles. You've seen them on TV, right? You're sitting in this chair. There's no roof on the vehicle. And we're these, I said, listen, these are not like zoo lions, are they? He said, no, these are wild lions. I said, you, so these lions are finding their own food. Yes. They're not being, they're, it's not like lion chow being brought to them. No, he said, they're killing stuff and eating stuff three or four times a day. I said, okay, let me just ask a simple question. I'm a pragmatic person. Should there not be a top on this vehicle? <laughs> he goes, he goes, he looked at me, he laughed, because that's not the first time he had been asked that question. I mean, we're driving, the lions are right there. I mean, I, he said, do not put your hands outside the vehicle. I said, you, you do not have to convince me of that. I'm in the middle of, I'm, I'm putting my daughter out there. Like, I'm in the middle. <laughs> but these lions are large. They're several hundred pounds. And they're, they got blood on their face from their morning breakfast. They're right there. And I said, are you, are you serious? We don't need a top on this vehicle. He said, those lions think this is just a big, oily, nasty animal driving through the savannah. He says, as long as you're in the vehicle with me, you're safe. If you get outside this vehicle and they can discern that you are no longer in the oily, nasty animal, but you become isolated and separated from this vehicle, you're done. You're devoured quickly, and I can't save you, he said. I won't save you, he said. But as long as you're here, and see, this is the beautiful picture of the church. You need to climb in and settle in and find your spot and get among God's people because the, the more you isolate yourself, the more you go out there on your own, that's when you're the most susceptible to being devoured. The lions feast on the unprotected, and the church has always been designed to be the protected space for God's people. Are you, are you following me now? All right? He said, so the second thing, he says, all of you, in verse 5, he says, all of you clothe yourselves with uh, humility. In verse 5, all of you clothe yourselves with humility. Humility. Here's the second group of people that the lions feast on. The lions feast on the proud. Again, in Matthew chapter 26, when Jesus said, all of you are going to be scattered, all of you are going to leave, listen to what Peter says. Now, Peter's the one that we just read, right? 1 Peter 5 is written by this guy. Now, 1 Peter 5 is written by a much older, wiser, more mature Peter. But this is a young guy, the young Peter. And verse Matthew 26, verse 33, he says, even if all of they fall away on account of you, I never will. I am the strong one. <laughs> Truly, I tell you, Jesus says, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And guess what happened? Peter bragged, I'll never leave you. Sure enough, he's outside the trial where Jesus is going through a trial Three different people walk up to Peter and say, hey, I know you. You're that Galilean. You're that fisherman who follows Jesus. Three different times, Peter goes, I don't know him. Never met the guy. Who? Jesus who? Never heard of him. I, I, I don't know this guy. And on the third time when he denied Jesus, a rooster crowed in the background. And the eyes of Jesus, one of the passages says that the eyes of Jesus met Peter. And Peter's heart sank and he realized he had disowned Jesus three times. 
Listen, there's an arrogance that happens in all of us that we don't need anybody else, that we, we are capable of doing what we need to do in our own strength, for their own, by ourselves in our own strength. Listen, that's really the, that's, the, that's a being an American, right? Pull up the bootstraps, do it on your own. I don't, I don't need anyone else's help. Listen, it's just not the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven says you need, you need to learn to ask for help. In John 13, we saw this coming. Peter says, you'll never wash my feet. Right? This is Peter's pride and his arrogance, not wanting to submit himself to the lordship of Jesus. Listen, what, what just happened in worship a moment ago is us coming before the Lord with our hands open. You know, your pastor asks you to lift your hands. Why do we do that? Because give me today our daily bread it was a part of the prayer that Jesus taught us. Give me today, which is a timing, our daily bread, which is an amount. Why do we do that? Why do we come with our hands like this? Because it reminds me that I'm childlike. I'm not childish, but I'm childlike. And I come before the Lord and I'm humbling myself. Am I strong? Am I smart? Am I wise? Am I capable? Yeah, I've got a measure of those things. I have a measure of wisdom. I have a measure of resources. I have a measure of strength. All of you in the room, I'm not calling you weak and powerless. I'm saying no matter how strong you are, no matter how wise you are, it's not enough without Jesus. It's your strength plus Jesus that makes us strong, that makes us overcomers. So we bring our strength and our weaknesses before the Lord, and then he makes up the difference. He meets us at that place and says, I now will come alongside you. So that when, we're, when we win, who gets the glory? Jesus. All right, now go with me to verse 7. He says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Here's, here's the next group of people that the lion feast on. The lion feast on the good things that we neglect. If you neglect your marriage, the lion will feast on it. You neglect your kids, the lion will feast on them. Listen, all the parents of the littles, I, I, gave, I, told your parent, I told your pastors this, I realize, and I want to give all of you young parents some advice. I've been, I've, I now feel like I have something to say to young parents as I'm watching the world evolve around us. But the first 10 years are the most important. You'll never have more time with your children than you will in the first 10 years of their life. When they hit 11 or 12, they're going to not want to be around you as much. That's just natural. It's normal. They're going to start wanting to be with their friends. They're going to start wanting to do things. But the first 10 years, you're kind of a big deal with them. And you need to take full advantage of those first 10 years. And it, now, let me give you some advice for years 11 through 20. All right? Guard who they hang out with. Pam and I, we were merciless. I mean, we were vigilant. We were diligent. We did not let Abram and Kelly hang out with knuckleheads. And some of those knuckleheads were in the church. I just, we just, hey, if they're not going to be a good influence on my kids, you're not hanging out with them. Just guard their friendships, guard their access to information. Be more diligent. In other words, pay attention. There is a roaring lion seeking to devour your children. And those first 10 years, spend every waking hour with them as much as you can. Those second 10 years, 11 through 20, guard them. Set up boundaries around them. Be, don't, don't get soft. Listen, I, I used to tell people, they, people would walk up to me and say, Pastor Brady, you know, enjoy your kids now because they're going to be teenagers one day. 
I went, I, I reject that. I rebuke that. The teenage years with my kids are going to be the most fun years of our life. And they were. They were fun. Because I put the work in those first 10 years, the second 10 years were a joy. Listen, if your kids are misbehaving at 10, it's cute now. It won't be cute when they're 17. Maybe cute when they're four, but it ain't cute when they're 17. That's good parenting advice right there. And listen, here it is, here's, listen very carefully, all the parents. And I don't know why I'm picking on the parents right now, but I just feel strongly to say this to parents. Staying alert is most of the battle. Being aware of what's happening in our marriage, our children, our bodies, our finances, our city is what's most needed right now. I don't think Abram minds me telling this story. Abram one time was going through a bit of a challenge in his life, and he was, he was a teenager. And I, I went to a restaurant with him, and I said, um, Abram, if the Lord speaks to me and tells me what's going on in your heart, will you talk about it with me? He goes, yes. So he got up and he went to the restroom. While he's in the restroom at the restaurant, the Lord gave me the word of what was happening with him. And he came back, and I spoke the word to him. Listen, paying attention is most of the battle. Paying attention. All right, here's the last one. He says, resist him, standing firm in the faith, verse 9. So let me give you some real practical things today, okay? How do you, if you're in a fight of your life this morning, if you're in a, in a, in a, a battle for your family and your marriage, if you're in any kind of battle this morning, listen very carefully. This is so simple what I'm about to tell you. I'm going to tell three things today, okay? Number one, tell someone. Tell someone what's going on. That, that's resisting the enemy. Before you leave the room today, before you leave church today, if you're in a battle and you haven't told anyone, find a trusted person and say, listen, I'm in a fight right now. I'm in a battle right now. And then pray together before you leave each other. Pray for one another. Listen, you know how powerful this is? Imagine, think about this. If everyone in the room had three or four trusted people in your life, that when you found yourself in a spiritual battle, you could tell someone, and that person loved you enough to pray for you right then. Now think about the spiritual battle, the spiritual resistance that happens when two or more people start praying together. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. There is something about coming into an agreement with someone, someone that loves you. So I told you, and we prayed together. And then here's the third thing, check on each other. Now, I have a very close friend who's going through just a really difficult time right now. Really difficult. Probably the fight of his life. I'm on the phone with him at probably every other day right now. He's my best friend. What, that's what I do. That's what we do. He would do it for me. I'm doing it for him. So what are we doing? I'm calling him and I said, tell me how I can pray for you today. Tell me what's going on. He'll say, he tells me what's going on. I said, let me pray for you right now. And I pray in Jesus' name over him. We are resisting the roaring lion together. And then I'm saying, listen, I'm going to call and check on you. I said, if you need to talk to me in the next 48 hours, you have my phone number. Just call me anytime. And he does. So we're checking on. Now, what happens with the checking on? If I know that there's someone fighting with me. I know that there's someone's fighting on my behalf. So I, I tell someone, we pray together, and we check on each other. And there is something, listen, I know that sounds so simple. But imagine how many... Acts of depression and anxiety could be relieved in this room if we knew there were people standing beside us, firm in their faith, resisting the lion with us. So let me read this last passage, okay? This is how Peter wraps up this message in verse 10. 
He says, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while. So I want to pause here just for a moment. Your suffering is not unique. People all over the world are, are being pushed, and suffering is a part of our, our space. It's a part of what—it's not if, it's when. It's not if hard times are going to come, it's when hard times come. He says, but will himself—listen, God himself will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And to him be power forever and ever. Amen. Would you stand this morning? I want you to grab your communion elements. And I want to come to the table of the Lord, invite you to come to the table of the Lord with me. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song together, I think is what we're going to do. And then as we're singing that song, I want you to take the bread and take the cup and receive it at your own, as you pray. But I want to pray over you today. This is, we at our church, we come to the table of the Lord probably 48, 49 Sundays a year at the end of the service, almost every Sunday. And what I say to them is, I, you may not like the sermon, you may not care for whatever songs we sang, but the reason we're here today is not for sermons and songs. We're here today because of Christ, the resurrected one who, while we were deep in the woods lost, when we were powerless to save ourselves, Lost in the darkness, he came looking for us and rescued us and brought us into his marvelous light. And it's Jesus. Jesus is the center of why we're here today. Amen? He's the reason we're here today. So I want to pray for you right now. May if you're in a battle, if you're in a, if you're in a place right now where there's a fight going on in your life, would you just cast all of your anxiety right now at the feet of Jesus. While you're taking that bread and taking that cup, would you say, Father in heaven, I give that to you. I release that to you. That belongs to you. Father in heaven, I, I ask, oh God, that in this room and in those watching online right now, that there would be great strength from heaven would overshadow them. Maybe if you're here today, just turn your hands toward the Lord and say, Father, I come today for my daily bread. Give me today the portion that I need for today. Give me today daily bread for the strength that I am in that I need today, for the fight that I'm in right now. And Father, on the night you were betrayed, you took the bread and the cup and you gave thanks for it and you blessed it and you broke it and you shared it with your disciples and you said, as you take this bread, remember my body, which is broken for you. And take this cup and remind yourself that your sins have already been forgiven, that there is a new age of grace that has broken out all over the world and you're a part of it. And your sins are forgiven in Jesus' name. With that in mind, let's worship together and come to the table of the Lord as we worship. 